Father in heaven. We pray for this time to be important to us. We pray, therefore, that you, by your power, by your Holy Spirit, will work among us, will work on us and in us, and ultimately through us, to glorify your name. As we hear, as we think, and as we respond. Lord, you take this very, very seriously. May we do that also and glorify your name. Amen. Well, from the outside uh, looking in, it seemed to be a loving family meal. But it ended with the death of three people and the near death of a fourth who was critically ill for a long time. But I saw my news feed today, he's actually come out of hospital. I'm talking about, of course, the deadly mushroom meal uh, over on the mainland that's been in the news recently. I mean, what a shocking thing to happen. Violent illness and death arising from this sort of lovely family gathering, it seemed to be. It raised questions, didn't it? What was going on for that to be the outcome? Something had gone very, very, very wrong. Now today, we focus on another meal. It's a family meal. It's a meal that is intended to clearly express love and togetherness, a joyful, a powerful celebration meal. And so come with me to the ancient Greek city of Corinth and the Christian church that gathered there, whose custom it was to have this special meal called the Lord's Supper. Did you notice this as we read? Verse 29, those who eat and drink the Lord's Supper without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Did you notice that? I mean, let's be clear. It's saying that an outcome of the Corinthian church's approach to this particular meal is that they've eaten and drunk judgment on themselves. Specifically, many are sick and weak and a number have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for died. Many sick, some have died. What was going on for that to happen? That's what we're looking at today. Not as some historical curiosity, but because we're celebrating this today. We're taking this meal. And it seems that it's very important that we take it seriously. Now, uh, if you're new to this church, we've been privileged to welcome a number of people in recent weeks. And if you're new, I want to just take a moment to explain simply what the Lord's Supper is. It's a simple meal that Jesus... Christ, the Lord, began with his own disciples at what is known as the Last Supper. That's recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke's Gospels in the Bible and it's referred to in the reading that we had in 1 Corinthians 11. It involves simply eating some bread and drinking some wine or some red-coloured equivalent. 
In the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus' death on the cross. His body broken for us, and the bread is a symbol of Jesus' body broken. And his blood spilled for us, shed on the cross, and the wine or the juice is a symbol of Jesus' blood. And Jesus intended for his followers to do this regularly, to remember him, telling them, do this in remembrance of me. And so it's all about, this thing is all about what God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ. It's all about grace, his grace, love that is given freely, but which is in no way deserved. We deserve punishment, in fact, for living our own way and rejecting God. That's what sin is. But Jesus died to bear the punishment for our sin. And Jesus died for our sins also to demonstrate God's love for us. And that Jesus died in this way reveals a couple of things, doesn't it? Both the awful cost of our sin, but also how large, how immense God's love for us is too. And so Jesus invites invites his people to participate in this. Now, if you didn't know any of that, then this is a very underwhelming meal, isn't it? You are going to be hungry. So one bit of bread and a little bit of juice. But if what this meal is about is your experience of God, the God who saved you, because Jesus gave himself for you in his death on the cross, then this tiny supper will fill you up, won't it? It will feed us and nourish us because of what it means to you and to me and to all who have been saved by Jesus in his death on the cross. And so here at Kingston Christian Reformed Church, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every two months or so. And when we do, we really want to make the most of the opportunity we have. And this Bible passage in 1 Corinthians 11 helps us to know how to do that. And we're focusing uh, not on that whole reading, but from uh, verse 27 onwards in 1 Corinthians 11. And we're going to think through together how we can get the Lord's Supper wrong, then how we can make the most of it, and then we'll finish with who can make the most of it. And that's going to be some big stuff for us to think through as well today. Let's look firstly then at how we get the Lord's Supper wrong. So verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. What is this unworthy manner? Well, at least two things, really. Taking Lord's Supper lightly casually really if this unworthy man is connected to sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus it suggests a way or a manner of taking it that makes a mockery of the immensity of Jesus's gesture his work his sacrifice maybe we think 
the death of Jesus on the cross was just an easy thing for God to do. It's a small thing, really, for God to forgive me. I'm actually quite lovable. I can make that case to you, God. Sin doesn't really matter. God's going to forgive it anyway. The Corinthians were casual in their approach. That's unworthy. Isn't it? Because what Jesus did... It's not only a big deal, it's the biggest of all deals. And that sinful behaviour or attitude that really, you, you just can't really care less about it. You know it's there, it doesn't affect you particularly. But all of that stuff required the horrific death of Jesus Christ under the punishment of God to deal with. And this, this bread broken and this juice drunk remind us that it should be my body broken and my blood spilled but for the infinite love of Jesus Christ now doesn't that actually produce a sense of weightiness in us about what this is but also a powerful joy and peace and thankfulness that's a worthy manner Don't take it lightly. Also, don't take it wrongly. This is far more explicit, really. Verse 29, those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. In an earlier sermon in this series, it was noted that this meal, which was for all, was being abused. Verse 17, these meals in Corinth, they do more harm than good, Paul says to them. And that was because of these divisions among the people. Verse 18, it was like there were some VIP areas. They had more and better food and no sense of sharing. There was this sort of cliqueiness, excluding others. Some were going without, others were indulging excessively, even getting drunk. Verse 21, And Paul says, you think you're eating the Lord's Supper, but you're not. Again, this mocks the very essence of what Jesus died to achieve, doesn't it? Sure, the bread stands for the body of Christ, Jesus' actual body. But it also says something about what the church is. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. And that is what eating without discerning the body of Christ means. Not recognising that. That is taking Lord's Supper wrongly, not recognising other parts of the one body, the church. Having divisions, not caring that some go without while others get VIP drunk. Hey, I'll tell you what, later on we'll get to try out the practicalities of that because we're having a massive meal with loads of people and if those who serve first, don't leave anything for those that come later, we'll be working out something similar. 
Don't let that happen. In both of these cases, eating it lightly, sort of casually, and eating it wrongly, it has actually little to do with the fact that you ate the bread and drank the cup. Just doing that does not mean that you've taken the Lord's Supper. It's what you're thinking about as you do. It's your attitude. It's what you're thinking about as you eat and drink. It's what you're proclaiming as you eat and drink. It's what you're celebrating as you eat and drink. And there were consequences for the church in Corinth. If they would not take it seriously, God did this Weakness and sickness in the church and death. I mean, we'd love to know more about that, I'm sure. We're, not, we're just not told. But it does show us God takes this seriously. And it also shows us that his serious taking of what they were doing in Corinth is again showing grace. It's an extreme grace though, verse 32. Nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, the weakness and sickness and death... We're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. God is is parenting here. He's intervening, even taking some of his people for himself so that they won't mess it, presumably, mess it up for themselves or for others. That's a very strong point that God is making, not to take it wrongly. Makes you think, doesn't it? But how to do it rightly? Second point. How to make the most of Lord's Supper. Verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Examine Discern. Uh, Discern means sort of recognise or or see with understanding something. And so I want to say, examine me and discern we. Look at those in turn. Examine me, examine yourself. I want to admit straight up that I don't think I'm that good at this actually, generally speaking in life. Uh, I mean, recently Ali has pointed out repeatedly that I'm again wearing some shirt that has food marks or stains down the front. When I looked in the mirror, I didn't even examine myself to see what I looked like. Yeah, no, it's all good. The level of examination here is deeper, right? Harder. Here's the questions. Will I be making a mockery of what Jesus did for me if I take this? Let's be clear on what that doesn't mean. If on examining yourself, you find yourself to be a sinner, well, congratulations, you're human. And knowing that you're sinful is a qualification for taking the Lord's Supper, right? That's why Jesus died for you. 
That's why he gave us this supper to remind us of his grace. And yet, Satan will whisper, no doubt, that we're not good enough to take the Lord's Supper. Who do you think you're kidding? God couldn't love you. Aren't you making a mockery of Jesus? But where is the best possible place for someone who's fully aware and devastated by their own sinfulness? Where's the best place for them? What better place could you possibly be than at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ? The presence of sin is not the problem as such. It is a problem, but it's not the problem. Here's the problem. Not caring about your sin. That's the problem. For those who do care, Lord's Supper is powerful. For those who don't really care, it's pretty dangerous. You're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Making a mockery of what Jesus has done, treating it lightly. Now, I'm saying this for those of us who claim we, we believe, who have a profession of faith. I trust in Jesus. I'm a Christian. The issues are a bit different if you don't follow Jesus and you haven't put your, your, your trust in him yet. But can I say to you, and it's fantastic that you're here, make the most of this opportunity as well. With all my heart, your situation is precarious. If you reject God's salvation, you remain under his righteous judgment. And eating this meal can do nothing, really. Instead, for you, ask this question, do you know what God has done for you? God demonstrated his love to us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Put your trust in him. Come to him. Forgiveness is offered. Accept that forgiveness and receive his gift of new life. Examine me. Examine yourself. But then discern we, us. We're wired to be individual, really. In our culture, we think individual. Human nature actually itself is essentially self-interested first and foremost. But Jesus' death for us and the salvation it brings not only brings us to Jesus, but it brings us to each other in love. Brings us to us. Brings me to we. The church. Because God's grace, that utterly undeserved love of his to us who deserve his anger and judgment has come to us, but then it flows through us to others, or it should. And that's what makes the body of Christ, the one loaf, the church. Therefore, if God forgives you, will you not forgive someone else?
if God has graciously made things right between us as much as it depends on him and it depended totally on him, will we settle for not being right with others? Will we wait for others to make the first move? If you eat and drink this bread and this cup and you know someone has beef with you, or you have beef with someone else, what's that saying about you? Are you not making a mockery of Jesus' death? And actually this is the big issue in Corinth. This was what God was intervening because of. Discerning the body, the the church community is something uh, that we can get better at. We can grow in. We need to grow in. And Lord's Supper gives us the opportunity to do just that. Our big idea actually today expresses it. If we won't examine ourselves, we can't make the most of the Lord's Supper. We miss the grace of God and remain under judgment. And so what about the consequences of examining me and discerning we? Here are some consequences. It means that those who feel they shouldn't take Lord's Supper because they actually care about their sin, they will take it and be strengthened and encouraged and reminded of God's great love for them. But those who aren't ready to care about their sin shouldn't take it. Right? It means that those who have fallen out, have a beef with a sister or brother in Christ, they'll sort that out before they take this. As much as it depends on them. Do you know what? It means... We will have some serious, loving conversations happening, seeking forgiveness and and reconciliation through Christ. It means that we won't be taking it in an unworthy manner. We'll be taking it seriously and we'll be making the most of it. It means that perhaps a bigger indicator of making the most of the Lord's Supper is how many of us aren't taking it. Resolving instead to make good with others. That would be a great thing. And when the rest of us are aware, are aware, like we see someone not taking it, we won't be judging. We'll check in. In love. You okay? How can I pray for you? How can I care? (laughs) I noticed. That's making the most of it. Now, love you to keep talking about all of that. But I want to finish today with this. Who can make the most of the Lord's Supper? Because it's worth making the most of, right? I wonder if you've been struck by how seriously God takes this thing. These warnings, unworthy manner, eating and drinking judgment 
on yourself, we rightly take these warnings seriously. Here's some more warnings from Jesus. Matthew 19, the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And Matthew 18, if anyone causes one of these little ones, and he had children around him, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Do you think Jesus is serious? Now, we have those scenes in our minds as we hear them. But now picture this. We have this meal that's all about Jesus and his love that reminds us so well of what Jesus has done. The meal to which Jesus invites all who believe in him to come and feed for their strengthening and their encouragement and their comfort and their assurance. And we say to little ones... Those who believe in Jesus, it's not for you. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. We say, you can't take this bread and cup that are designed to strengthen your faith. Anyone think that's not quite right? Now, you might not know what to think because you're thinking big things here. But let me share that our group of churches, our denomination, the Christian Reformed Churches of Australia, has been working on this matter of children and the Lord's Supper for over a decade now, and they've had discussions before. And in short, and in alignment with the discussions and what's come out of that, we want to take Jesus seriously here. We've been entrusted, haven't we, with so many precious kids who are growing up among us in this church family who as they grow, they get to know and trust in Jesus. They know that he loves them, know that he died to save them, know that he calls them to follow him and so on. They have some faith, small faith perhaps. But if you ask a little child, how do you know God loves you? What is it that we're looking for? Are we looking for an articulation of justification by faith? Well, we are, but not in the specific theological detail that that might entail what are we looking for Jesus died to save me I love him I want to follow him is that what we're looking for yeah that's what we're looking for should they then not be able to enjoy the blessing, strengthening, encouragement, feeding, nourishment of the Lord's Supper? And I think the answer when you look at it is yes. What are we afraid of? Eating and drinking judgment. Who was that warning given to? It wasn't given to the children in Corinth, was it? It was given to the adults for abusing the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to be taking, and this is the language of our entire denomination, a very generous approach to the faith of our children. We want to make the most of the Lord's Supper. 
to open it up appropriately. And here's what that looks like. Now, I've got a handout that I'll make available. There'll be some at the front here and some at the back. I want families to grab some, or anyone can grab some, uh, one. Here's what it looks like. They must be baptised. That marks them out as part of the church family. They belong in this church family. And that is known. They must profess faith in Jesus age appropriately. Age appropriately. There must be age appropriate evidence of this faith being lived out. They must understand what this means. The bread represents Jesus' body, the wine, juice, the cup represents his blood. They need to understand that Jesus died for them, for them, giving his body and blood to save them from their sin. And they should be able to examine themselves, reflecting simply on whether they've been living with Jesus as Lord, whether they care about that. And if they've stopped living with Jesus as Lord or have rejected the faith, they stop taking the Lord's Supper. Now, how do we support that to happen? You'll hear a lot more about that, uh, and it's on the sort of handout that uh, I've sort of made available. But here's what we want to do and want you to do. Every family, go away and talk about these things. Do we want our children to take the Lord's Supper? Is that something that would greatly benefit them in their faith? Are our children able to understand the meal, profess trust in an age-appropriate way? Have our children been baptised? For those children who have not been baptised and who want to take the Lord's Supper, do you see, we can baptise them. We can actually do it on the basis of a profession of faith if they want to take the Lord's Supper. And have, once you've had a chat, or maybe even before you've had a chat, I want you to talk to one of the elders, talk to a pastor about these things and where you're at. Requesting baptism if you need for your child and admission to the Lord's Supper. No doubt there will be questions. Please raise those questions. I'm really excited about this opportunity we have as a church family, young and old to have very, very important discussions and conversations about what matters most. I hope you're excited about that too. And not just one time at one Lord's Supper. This is what we get to do every time. It's brilliant. It's why Jesus gave it, I think. It's going to go a long way to ensuring that we make the most of this opportunity every time that we take it. But it starts with examining ourselves. Because if we won't do that, we can't make the most of the Lord's Supper. And we miss the grace of God. And we remain under judgment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace that you lavish upon us. You give it and you keep giving it. Even your actions in Corinth were fueled by your grace. You want us to make the most of this precious opportunity 
to remember the body and blood of Christ, to remember how much you love us, to be strengthened and comforted and assured. And Lord, we want that to be the opportunity for all who can take it. So help us as we talk together as families and as a family of families. Help us to have great, great conversations today and this week in the coming weeks. Conversations that are about what matters most. Do we know that you love us? Are we living for you? Help us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.